Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. From Variety, celebrating more than 115 years covering the business of entertainment, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. It's really more sophisticated than anything I've been able to do before in the animated space because of our thesis, which was, can we get an entire family on screen? And that's the story. Lin-Manuel Miranda knew he had something special on his hands when he was tapped to write the music for Disney's Encanto. I'm Jazz Tanke, and on this episode of the Variety Awards Circuit podcast, we talk to Miranda about Encanto, Tick, Tick, Boom, his first music memories, and so much more. It's all next on this edition of the Variety Award Circuit podcast. So stay close. Of course, you know Lin-Manuel Miranda because of In the Heights and Hamilton. But over the past year, Lin-Manuel Miranda has delivered a wealth of gifts to audiences. Broadway audiences got Freestyle Love Supreme, an improvisational hip-hop comedy. They also got Miranda's directorial debut, Tick, Tick, Boom. And animated fans got a double treat of Vivo and Encanto. It's the latter where Miranda had to write eight new songs that have since gone viral on TikTok. Encanto was number one at the box office over the Thanksgiving holiday weekend. I recently spoke with Miranda about Encanto's impact on audiences and hearing what songs they found appealing. The multi-hyphener also talked about casting Tick Boom and what made Andrew Garfield the right actor to play Jonathan Larson. I began by asking Miranda about his first musical memory. Definitely TV. Um, my, my father's favorite movie of all time is The Unsinkable Molly Brown, um, which has that very stressful shot, if you're a child, of this baby in a river uh, going downstream. And you're like, oh, I hope the baby's okay. Um, and he just loved that movie. He was uh, just a huge Debbie Reynolds fan. So that movie is on regular rotation uh, in our home. And um, But my first uh, stage musical, um, you know, I'm a child of the 80s. So it was, it was probably Les Miserables when I was seven years old. I remember, and again, that's not the most appropriate show to see if you're seven years old. <laughs> I think I cried at Fontaine's death, uh, wondered why everyone was laughing during Lovely Ladies. Um, took a nap somewhere in there because I was seven. I woke up in time for Javert's suicide. Um, <laughs> but it still stayed with me. And um, I, I remember the confrontation very well, like these two actors singing different lyrics at the same time. And the like, 
sometimes dovetailing, sometimes not, and that being terribly exciting, even when I was seven. Um, and 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 but most of all, what I remember was my parents bringing home the cast album, and and seeing my mother cry every time she heard "Bring Him Home," um, and seeing the effect of that music on my parents. My parents were big cast album collectors. Like my mom would blast the Camelot soundtrack. They blasted Man of La Mancha. Um, And just seeing what a powerful effect that music had on my parents and their emotions, I think, was was probably very formational for me. Yeah. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Cast album recordings. That could could be a whole other podcast conversation, right? Um, But last month, oh, my gosh, was it last month now? Tick, tick, boom at the Chinese theater. What was that like to be in that audience, seeing everybody react to this movie? It, w- it was amazing. You know, it was it was really exciting because we, you know, first of all, we're adapting a piece of theater. So you're always imagining a crowd <laughs> reaction, even though you're making a movie. And even though you're making a movie for Netflix that, you know, is going to be in people's phones and computers and home theaters. Um but it was very special to, first of all, to to premiere at a film festival and to premiere with a big audience because, um, you know, we we workshop this as if we were doing a stage musical, and to hear these scenes in movies get hands was was so thrilling, um, and and to get laughs and to get hear sniffles. Um, you know, it's just like gathering in the dark to hear a story, whether it's a movie or a piece of theater is my favorite thing in the world. And, um, it was, it was very exciting. Yeah. Take us back. Like what made you connect with Jonathan Larson and, you know, how has his work influenced you as a songwriter? Um, yeah, well, you know, I, first of all, like I was like a, preternaturally morbid kid. <laughs> you know, I think that comes with being a New Yorker, honestly. I think um I think about like when my parents would bring home the newspapers every day and flipping through the pictures of murder and carnage in the daily news before I could get <laughs> to the funny pages around 44 or 45. Um so I could read Garfield, I had to flip through just very upsetting images every day and you knew that was happening in your hometown and um and so um, you know, I remember I had a poster of Brandon Lee on my wall because I just was so uh, heartbroken that 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 sto- that he he was taken from us so soon, and he was Bruce Lee's son, and he was he had this huge career ahead of him, um, and I was always kind of attracted to those stories. So what I knew before going into see Rent on my 17th birthday with my girlfriend, Meredith Somerville, who surprised me with tickets, um, was that he had died before preview started of the show. I think that that story was already kind of off the arts and leisure page and into kind of popular culture. So that's really all I knew about Rent was that the um, composer of it wasn't around to see it. And I was very curious to see it. And um, I wasn't ready for how personal the show would feel. Um, all I ever wanted to do my li- whole life was make movies and write songs. And here are the main characters, and one of them wants to make movies, and the other one wants to write <laughs> songs, Mark and Roger. Um, and it took place in New York, and the cast looked like New York for real. It wasn't an all-white cast, mm. as all of the musicals I'd seen to that point, uh, with the exception of, I don't know, Ain't Misbehaving or some other you know shows that were about a specific culture, um, were. I, I could count on my hands. Uh, it was the most diverse show I'd ever seen on Broadway, and it took place now, which sounds... Um, 
which sounds normal in a post-Larson Broadway, which is the one we're living in. You know, you have Jagged Little Pill and Next to Normal. Like, we have a lot of contemporary musicals now, but the musicals I grew up with were Les Mis and Phantom and Man of La Mancha. They always took place in some other time, in some other land. Even a chorus line is a period piece by 1997 when I'm seeing this show. Um, So it just felt like homemade and real and concerned with the things I was concerned with, like being an artist and surviving in New York. And, um, and I just, um, it's the show that made me go from admiring musicals to thinking I could write one someday. That's, it gave me permission. Um, and you know, that I can, I can kind of never pay Jonathan back enough for that. Although the film is in a lot of ways, my attempt to do that, to, to honor the life of someone who I think gave a lot of people permission to tell their stories in this art form. It is a beautiful tribute to his work and his legacy. And Andrew Garfield is phenomenal. I like taking chances I on mean... upcoming talent, <laughs> you know? Um. <laughs> How did you, I mean, because you know, Jonathan Larson is so sacred to, if you love musical theater, like you said, you know, he's impacted so many. Like, how did you find Andrew? Well, first of all, you know, a lot of credit has to go to producer Julie O, um, who is the one who went about getting the film rights for Tick, Tick, Boom in the first place. She'd seen me in a production in 2014. That was her first exposure to it. We were friendly, but had never really worked together. We met in the early days when I was shopping heights around to every studio in town. She was a young exec and we sort of met in passing then. Um, And um, when she contacted me in, I think 2016, uh, to say, I have the rights, the film rights to Tick, Tick, Boom, are you interested in directing? I've never replied to an email uh, so fast in my life because that show, had, you know, had taken root in my heart such a long time ago, and I, I had pictured the movie version of that in sort of daydreaming. And as soon as she said it to me, I said, "Oh yeah, that's a movie. It's actually, I think it might work better as a movie um, because it gives us the opportunity to go into." the context that gave rise to Jonathan Larson's work, the, you know, New York in 1990, the village um, of Jonathan Larson's era, which is not the village we live in now. Um, So, you know, it was, um, I'm sorry, what was your question? (laughs) (laughs) Casting Andrew Garfield. So, yeah, so it's Jonathan Larson. I know I I need to have a spectacular actor. um, And I also know I need a theater beast, I need someone who lives and breathes theater. So I was kind of going through my mental Rolodex of like the great theater actors we have, the Jonathan Groffs and the Aaron Tveits of the world, um, who I know could sing and play piano um, brilliantly. And then I, I was in London at the time and I saw Angels in America at the Nationals, one of my favorite plays. And um, and it's a commitment. It's, you know, you see the matinee and then you eat dinner and then you see the evening <laughs> it's show. It's like, part. it's a it's, whole day it's, event. It's your right? day in the theater, which is my favorite way to spend a day is a day in the theater. And um, and there's Andrew Garfield and his rib cages cracked open playing Prior Walter. I mean, he's just giving you everything. Um, and he's so, he commands the stage. And I didn't know if he could sing, but I left that production feeling like this guy can do anything. Um, so 
singing was like the least of it. It was just like, I feel like I've been in the presence of someone who truly commands a stage. And I knew just as a fan of his movies that he could, he could do the smaller moments and he could play to the rafters. He could kind of do it all. Yeah. Talking about people on the piano, uh, there is a a shot of Alex Lackamore playing the piano in Tick, Tick, Boom. Did, how did that come? I mean, were you just like Alex? There's a shot of Alex playing? Is he, He's playing the piano there. No. He, there's a shot of Alex in the workshop sequence. It, oh, okay. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Well, that shot is is really, uh, it's one of my favorites in the movie. Um, you know, Jonathan was a part of this Dramatist Guild, like, writer's series where you would play your work for quote unquote mentors who could, you know, build you up or tear you down. Um, and and again, here's where working on multiple projects helped me. I was working with Alan Menken on the new songs for Little Mermaid. And he showed me this, you know, we were just talking about the era of Little Mermaid, which is the same time, you know, they were mm-hmm. writing that in the late eighties um, as the AIDS crisis is starting to get worse and worse. Um, and he showed me this 15 minute documentary about himself as a young writer. It was called Just a Songwriter. And it's baby Alan Menken playing his work for uh, a musical theater workshop. And I'm spotting other mu- other songwriters like in there. Like Maury Yeston is there and Susan Birkenhead is sitting in the back. People are smoking. And it looks like a 12-step recovery program. Like it looks like just this weird secret meeting. They're all in the dark and hunched over. Um, and... Lehman, the legendary Lehman Engel is just ripping Alan's song to shit. <laughs> like, he's just like, how many choruses does this thing have? Um, you know, and it's jarring to see one of the most successful songwriters of all time just getting dressed down uh, in this workshop. But it also, like, I was like, Alan, you have no idea what a gift you've given me because I know exactly now how to stage the workshop scene in Tick, Tick, Boom. But I also took a cue from that and that I cast every extra in that is a musical theater writer. Um, so you've got Issa Davis next to Kiara, next to Stephen Trask, the writer of Hedwig, uh, next to uh, Dave Malloy and Jason Robert Brown. And, and I, Alex Lackmore uh, is in that crew. There you go. Um, I mean, talking about your Rolodex, talk about working that out during the Sunday sequence and making that happen. I think that in itself was an extra gift to musical theater lovers. Well, yeah. Well, it's funny. I was, um, I'm the specific type of nerd who was at the Ziegfeld theater midnight Friday for opening night of Chicago, the movie. And I remember the screams when Cheetah Rivera showed up in her cameo in the prison in that movie. And we were like, ah! And so I, I, I knew what a charge that could bring, but I also... My 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 biggest thing with the Sunday sequence was Jonathan Larson wrote this love letter to Stephen Sondheim's Sunday, but he only ever performed it as a one-man band. Uh, he never even heard it with harmonies. Um, the off-Broadway version at least had harmonies on it. Um, I'm in a position as the filmmaker to give him the harmonies that Steve had on his Sunday in the park. Um, so let's give him his musical theater dream choir. That was that was sort of the thinking. And the first call was Bernadette Peters, who of course figures um, so prominently in the original Sunday. Um, and without her, it doesn't work. Um, and then building outwards from there of just like, who are 
um, the legends, but I also wanted to give him a galaxy brain moment because I didn't want it to be like Madame Tussauds is like here are all of these legends, but who are who are you know the future legends? And so that's why, you know, I have Big Al from Fun Home, uh, played by Beth Malone, and I have the cast of Rent, who he hasn't met yet, but he's going to meet in a few years. Um, and I have the Skyler sisters. Um, I wanted it to be like. Jonathan stepping outside of time in his fantasy to kind of create this fantasy sequence. And, and a lot has been made of the cameos. But for me, the most important part is actually when he reaches out and grabs his friend Freddie and puts him in the choir. Uh, because, you know, that's what he did with Rent. He took his friends and his community and he put them on the same playing field as, as all of these legends. After the break, more from Lin-Manuel Miranda. From Los Angeles, this is the Awards Circuit Podcast. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And we're back. It's the Variety Awards Circuit Podcast, and I'm Jazz Tanke. We're here chatting with Lin-Manuel Miranda about Encanto, Tick, Tick, Boom, and so much more. As we pick back up, I asked Miranda about the recent passing of Broadway legend Stephen Sondheim. Although Sondheim is played by Bradley Whitford in Tick, Tick, Boom, Miranda included Sondheim's actual voice in an answering machine message that he leaves for Jonathan Larson. I haven't watched it since he passed, <laughs> um, and uh, I'm so grateful for it. I, I involved... Um, Steve very early when I first got the job and, you know, I said, you know, you're a character in this. He knew he was a character in it because even if the, in the off-Broadway version, he had generously contributed the voicemail to that. It was this amazing moment of theater where you hear Sondheim's voice coming out of uh, the answering machine in Raul Esparza's living room <laughs> in that original produ off-Broadway production. Um, but I, you know, it's it's another thing to represent him on screen, uh, which our movie does, which the original didn't. Um, and so, you know, I called him when I cast Bradley Whitford and I called him when we had the scenes and I wanted him to sort of see everything. And when I was when I worked up the courage to send him a screening is pretty late into post-production uh, when I had a screening good enough to show him. Right. Uh, and he emailed me back and said, you know, had really nice things to say about the movie and how we portrayed John and he wrote, and you treated me gently and royally for which I am grateful. And he said, but I do have a note and it's that last voicemail. You have me saying something like, I have a feeling you have a very bright future. And that sounds a little cliche. I didn't say that, did I? Um, anyway, I'm happy to rewrite it and record it if you can't get the actor back. Um, and who am I to turn down a Stephen Sondheim uh, rewrite? And, um, you know, he, you know, I, I just basically said, if you can keep it to the length it is in the movie, because I don't have time to recut the scene. The scene is the length that it is. Uh, and it's, you know, Andrew uh, listening to it. And um, so he 
rewrote this voicemail, sent me a voice voice memo the next day. Um, and we just, we never even called Bradley. We just stuck it in the movie. Um, and, uh, it's it's in a, in a lot of ways it's it's um it's one of his final gifts to us it's it's no longer just a message to Jonathan Larson through time it is a message to all of us to keep writing and to be proud um and i'm just so grateful for that second legacy like there's the legacy of his work which is immortal and we'll be talking about for centuries. And then there's the legacy of his mentorship, which I think is even more impactful because I mean, how many stories of his mentorship have we heard uh, in the two weeks? It's only been two weeks since he passed. Um, but so many stories of him taking the time to, to encourage others. Um, it's just, it's staggering. There's a beautiful Instagram account, Sondheim Letters. Letters. It's so, you read that and you're so inspired. Okay, we're going to move on to Vivo. You started Vivo, writing the songs for Vivo back in what, 2000 and 2009. Nine. I was still in the building uh, in, in the Heights. <laughs> um, yeah, I, you know, again, like it, a testament to how much I wanted to write in the animated space. You know, I'm, you know, that's 2009 is 20 years after I see Little Mermaid in the oh theater God. for the first time in 1989. And um, I just, uh, you know, and, and and that was with a different studio. And I was writing the songs on spec um, from a, a spec script by Peter Barzacchini, who wrote the high school musical films. Um, and they just never made it. Like, it was just sort of one of those things where it came down to the decision makers and they went, talking animals, uh, we just had Rio, too much like Rio, goodbye. Uh, and it like went into a vault and it went into turnaround. And um, then, you know, Hamilton happens and everyone says, what else you got? And I go, I have an entire animated score <laughs> sitting in a trunk. Um, and, you know, those songs were pretty good. I ended up rewriting all of them, by the way. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You know, um, I don't think there is a song in there that wasn't rewritten because I'm a better writer now than I was in 2009. And so um, the real jolt of energy came when, when Kiara came on board to basically overhaul it from top to bottom from that original 2009 draft and then meeting Kirk D'Amico. And, and he was like such an incredible partner for us uh, in terms of guiding it to its final form. Um, but it was a total joy. And I knew, I knew I had Alex Lacamoire, who is like born to write that score for, I'm so thrilled that that's his first movie score. I know it won't be his last, but, um, he was ready to do it. And, um, and he, he breathes Cuba and he breathes Miami and that's where that film is set. So, um, yeah, it was, it was again, like sort of a mini Heights reunion, uh, and, 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 a, and a joy top to bottom. How much fun was it to write my own drum? I mean, yeah, well, that I, song. again, that's where collaboration is sort of the greatest yeah. thing ever because the the character of Gabby was created by Kiara and Kiara's little sister is named Gabby. And as soon as she said, it's my little sister, I was like, got it. Um, and I wanted to write her a, you know, just like I wanted to write like the ultimate lonely kid anthem because when you're a little kid and you're lonely, you don't know you're lonely. You just think I got all this time and I have all this stuff to make. I was a lonely kid. Um, and I never thought of it that way because I was making movies and flip books and writing songs. And so uh, to write that was a joy. Um, and I was very inspired by Missy Elliott. I wanted to just sound as different from Vivo and the world of Havana that we established as possible. Um, and when I did my first demo, uh, I actually called Kiara and said, can, 
can you bring Cecilia over to sing this? Uh, Cecilia is her daughter. Um, and her daughter was probably like 12 years old at the time. It was like the perfect <laughs> age. Yeah. Uh, and so I coached uh, her daughter through singing uh, the demo to my own drum. And I was like, okay, this is going to work. Because uh, it's it's designed to be shouted more than sung. <laughs> you know, there's, there is some <laughs> melody in it, but it really is. I wanted just this great kind of kid anthem and... It's my kid's favorite thing. Um, you know, it's it's there's something in it that my kids don't just like like sit up when it plays, like they have to get up off the couch and dance along. Um and that's it's wonderful when you find that secret sauce. <laughs> have have your kids become like Disney fans too? Like have you started like ingraining the Disney musical? Oh, yeah. Well, it's so funny like I think that one of the side effects of Disney's corporate strategy is that like when my kids started, my when my oldest started making movies um, during the pandemic, when we were just home, he started making iMovie trailers with my phone, and he would say, "But this is the animated version, and this is the live action version." So he would make a movie with his dolls, and that was a quote unquote animated version. And then he would make us dress up like the dolls, and we were the live action version. So he has one movie where it's The Rock, and he has this Dwayne the Rock Johnson like wrestling doll, and then he has a movie of me in my underwear as the live action version of The Rock. The, you will never see these movies until long after I am gone. Uh, but he, it was um, again like that ver- that thing of like there's got to be an animated and live action version of everything uh, is is thanks to the Disney corporate. Oh strategy. my gosh, that is hilarious! Kids, and also kids making movies and trailers, like yeah. Yeah, well, the thing is, I used to do that with a VHS camcorder, but he just right. has way better technology. They've got better than technology now. Yeah. Um, Encanto, number one over the holidays. What was that like for you to like give the gift, another gift? I mean, you just you just give us like, you're like Santa. Oh, it was so thrilling. I mean, you know, again, like those live in our house for a long time. And so to finally get to share this score that I'm so proud of, um, that really is, I, I mean, it just like, it's really very more sophisticated than anything I've been able to do before in the animated space. And because of our thesis, which was, can we get an entire family on screen? And that's the story. Uh, 12 major characters. Um, we're not saving the world. We, we the, 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 the relationships between those characters um, is the story um, forced us to find all these new forms. Like there's a big gossip number where we get to meet all these characters. Um, you know, it's been wonderful to see folks claiming uh, surface pressure as a song that that really kind of defines how they feel as an older sibling. And that was very, de- you know, that was very much me writing about my older sibling. And so, um, again, like we all threw our family stories in the middle of the pile to kind of create Encanto. And it's been wonderful to see it resonate with families and give families a vocabulary to talk about their own stories. Um, you know, I I was at the New York premiere with my sister uh, and her kids. Um, and, you know, when I turned to my nephews and was like, well, Luisa's your mom. And, you know, she's like the strong one, the strong sibling. And they were like, no, she's not. She's abuela. She runs our whole <laughs> life. But that's exactly right, right? Like one generation's strong one is the next generation's abuela. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of what it's about and how um, those roles change and evolve over time and within within even one family. Can we talk about you working with Alan Menken? On the sure. I mean, what is that like for you? Also to be reunited with Rob Marshall. Yeah, well, you know, the Rob Marshall was the the really was was so exciting for me and as soon as they 
announced they were doing a live action Little Mermaid, I was very, again, I had my backup like everyone does because that movie's so beloved. And I was like, let me let me come on as just like the president of the Don't Mess It Up Committee. <laughs> like, you know, that 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 w- that's what I saw my role as. And if it needed new songs, great. And if not, fine. Like, I just wanted, um, you know, the legacy of the original to be really um, honored because it's it's my favorite animated movie. And um, but I knew Rob would take good care of it because I saw the care with which he took um, the Mary Poppins legacy um, and and how thoughtful and and deliberate he and his partner, John DeLuca, are. Um, And then, I mean, to write with Alan is like beyond a dream. Like I have Alan's autograph from when I was in fourth grade. Uh, And so to write with him at the beginning, it was very nerve wracking. Um, because I think both of us were hesitant to go first. He's like, you know, I've, I've rewritten this a million times. Like, what do you want to do? <laughs> um, you know, he did a Broadway version and, you know, he's, he's, he's been to this well before. Um, but what was exciting was once we both just got into it and started putting stuff down on paper, it became a matter of keeping up with him. He is one of the most gifted melodists of our time. Um, and he's fast. Um, like every improv he does is like the prettiest thing you ever heard. So it's it's a matter of really keeping up with his fingers, which just pour out these incredible um, melodies. And and so that was really exciting. And kind of I felt like I'm at the grownups table. And can I can I hang at the grownups table? Uh, the only other time I felt like that was um, when I got to I was lucky enough to write a song with John Kander. Um, and you know John Kander wrote these classics with Fred Ebb. And it was like, can I hang in this collaboration? And, um, and so, yeah, we had a wonderful time and, um, and I'm, and I'm really proud of, you know, I, I haven't seen, I've only seen about an hour of dailies of that movie. They're in deep, deep post-production. And as you can imagine, just think of the logistics of underwater live action, how much work they need to do after they finish shooting. Um, so I'm excited to see the final product, but I know Hallie Bailey is a superstar. Um, no one's no one's ready for her. Oh my Ariel. gosh. <laughs> like no one's ready for her, Ariel. I'm ready for it. I mean, I can't wait. I mean, the way they transition that to stage on Broadway, phenomenal. Yeah. I so mean, yeah, yeah, I can't wait for you to see her, Ariel. It's really special. What is next for you? I mean, this year, you, you, you've, you've given us Viva and Kando in the Heights, Tick, Tick, Boom, Freestyle Love Supreme too. Yes. Like love, yeah. I mean, talk about What's next? <laughs> what's what next? is next for you? I mean, you know, yeah. Well, more. what's next is I'm jumping into freestyle as much as I can yeah. before the end of the year. We're we're finishing up uh, our run and um, very proud that we're part of Broadway coming back and part of that first wave of of theater coming back after being dark for so long. Um, and and weirdly, I think freestyle is uniquely suited for the moment because we rap about whatever the audience wants. So it's like, oh, is that what we're thinking about today? All right, let's get into it. And and it's very cathartic in a way that almost nothing else can be. Um, but so I'm excited to just sort of jump in and be a performer for a little bit. Um, but next year, I got a clear desk. Oh like, my I gosh. Have, and, and that's, ex- I have not been in that situation in 13 years. Um, you know, Heights was 13 years in the making from stage to screen you know, Vivo was 11, you know, Encanto was five, Tic Tic was five. And so I, I get to start from scratch and I don't know what 
is going to be on that blank page. I have lots of ideas uh, that I've not been able to pursue because I've had so much to complete. Um, but I'm excited for that. I'm going to take a long vacation first. You deserve it. What's next is like a long vacation on a beach with my wife with drinks with umbrellas in them. <laughs> Last time you were on a beach, you gave us Hamilton. So <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Watch this space. Lin-Manuel Miranda, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Good to see you in person, Jeff. Yes, likewise. Thank you so much. That's Lin-Manuel Miranda, director of Tick, Tick, Boom, now streaming on Netflix, and the writer behind the music on Encanto, now streaming on Disney+. That's it for this edition of Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. The Award Circuit Podcast is edited by Drew Griffith and Michael Schneider is the producer. Be sure to subscribe to the Award Circuit Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you download podcasts. Also, head to Variety.com and click on the Award Circuit tab to find the latest Oscar predictions and key races, as well as a daily fix of news, analysis, and reviews. For Janelle Riley, Clayson Davis, and Michael Schneider, I'm Jazz Tanke, and we'll see you on the circuit. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.